0: I think everyone comes to a point where they realize in their money journey, I want help. It's not enough for me to just say, oh, learning about money is important. That's great. But until you decide that you want to implement what you are learning into your own life, it's not going to matter.
1: grown girl gang. Welcome back to the Girl We Grow Now podcast. If you are looking for tips, advice, and or inspiration, then you are in the right place. This podcast was created to help you navigate life and live your most fulfilled life. You guys, I cannot believe that we are about to wrap up 2023. I know I've said this before, but this year literally flew by as I was just reviewing the podcast and setting new goals for next year. I decided that this would be a really good week. To replay the most played episode that I had this year. And you guys, I think it was meant to be because this episode really falls in line with where we are at in the year, especially with a lot of people reflecting, making vision boards, setting their intentions, and making their goals. This episode is really perfect for anyone who has financial goals. So, the most played episode was the interview that I did with Sydney. She goes by the zero. Based budget on social media. She is the author of her book Overcoming Debt, Achieving Financial Freedom. Side note, I will make sure to link this book in the show notes for those who are interested in learning more from her. She is also a speaker and a lawyer by trade. Her goal is to help millennial women achieve financial freedom, which I mean, sign me up because a huge part of elevating your life and being able to create that life that you love involves being financially responsible. And I don't know about you. but financial freedom is definitely a goal of mine and I feel like a lot of time these financial experts just aren't relatable and they don't provide the tangible tips that I feel like I can use to actually get myself to that point of financial freedom. In this episode, Sydney really gets down to the micro details on how to create a realistic budget and you might be shocked that you don't have to cut out all of the things you enjoy in life to pay down debt and create that financial freedom. We talk about paying down debt, finding the best savings accounts to help you reach your savings goals, and a ton of other tips to help you create a more financially free life. With that being said, let's get into the episode with Sydney. I read an article earlier on marketwatch.com and it said that one in three Americans who earn at least $250,000 live paycheck to paycheck. And I was yeah, actually... It doesn't surprise me. <laughs> it doesn't surprise you, so I was surprised. Sadly, no, it doesn't at all, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a huge indicator that we yeah. need help managing our money because I think a lot of times we think, oh, well, if we made more right but if we don't know how to manage what we make now, then oh, it's probably yeah. gonna be still hard, even Absolutely. if we make more. For sure, for sure. Okay. So I'm really curious to know what is your money story, meaning what did you first learn about money growing up and how has it evolved over time?
0: Sure. So I was born and raised in the Bronx, New York. I'm the daughter of immigrants. My mother's from Ecuador and my dad is from Honduras. And you know, we grew up pretty low income, uh, not much financial literacy as a kid just because my parents were more focused on putting food on the table, right? Yeah. Rather than teaching us like how to budget or how to invest or anything like that. And, you know, for me, my I guess you can say the real significant part of my money story for me really was after I graduated law school. And I know I'm kind of skipping ahead, but unfortunately, you know, in the in between from childhood really through college through law school, I didn't know much about money. Like mm. honestly, I didn't. I I knew it was important and I knew I wanted more of it, and I knew I didn't have much of it at home, but I didn't know anything about managing it whatsoever. And it wasn't until after I graduated law school, when I graduated with you know over $200,000 of debt, wow. that I realized oh, I kind of need to know about this. Like I should probably get my act together, you know, and I should probably try to figure this out because I can't be in debt forever. And so, you know, my money story, a big part of it revolves around that debt payoff journey that I embarked on after I graduated law school in 2015, which was really, uh, you know, this sort of coming of age moment for me where at 26, I was finding myself becoming a student yet again, even though I had this really fancy law degree, you know, Um, and yeah, obviously there's there's a lot that I'm kind of like leaving now we can touch on uh, later. But I learned so much about money in a very, very short period of time, because I kind of became obsessed with it. I was stalking all the social media pages of of anyone Mm -hmm. that was even bothering talking about money. Now there are so many. I mean, oh my goodness, I can't even count how many there are now. But really, when I started, which was just a few years ago, this was probably about maybe six years ago, there weren't many, you know, there weren't many personal finance content creators creating relatable financial mm. information the way that you find it now. And for me, something that has always been very important to me is learning from women, Uh, learning for, from women of color has always been really, really important to me, because I myself as a Latino, as the daughter of immigrants, I wanted to hear and learn from women who kind of understood where I was, right? Yeah. Who I could relate to, and uh, that's whose content I found myself really consuming. You know, um, podcasts, YouTube channels, uh, social media pages, blogs books as well. Uh, back then, sadly, I really only purchased books by white men because that's really what I saw on bookshelves. Uh, mm-hmm. But since then, there have been uh, several women of color that have written personal finance books, many which I'm proud to say I'm friends with and I've been able to support their books, which has been amazing. But yeah, I, I would say so much has changed in the past few years that I'm honestly just very excited. You know, it's part of the reason why I'm very excited to be on this podcast because, mm-hmm. you know you're audience reaches exactly who I want to reach right it's it's the women that I was in their shoes just a few years ago I was craving this kind of information where someone's gonna educate you about money in a non-judgmental way from a place of kindness from a place of empathy I think that's really important rather than the traditional finance advice that a lot of us might be unfortunately familiar
1: with Yes, I love that. And I just love how you said you became a student again, and you became obsessed, and you did the research and you found the tools to learn about money. I think that's amazing. What led you to want to become a finance coach?
0: I think the main thing for me was being able to educate in a relatable way, meeting people where they are, created my page, Zero Based Budget, on Instagram, not because I wanted to start a business at all. (laughs) Like, let me Mm. keep it 100% with you. (laughs) I Or as we say in the Bronx, let me keep it 100, okay? (laughs) That wasn't my intention at all. My intention was to just document my debt-free journey and to share with my community, this online community that I had created, uh, you know, some financial information that I was learning along the way. Like, that was my intent. I mean, I was a full-time commercial litigation attorney that was my craft you know that was my practice and I never thought to start a business from this but a business was born and it was born out of friends family the online community just reaching out to me and saying you know Cindy can you take a look at my budget Cindy I've never told anyone about how much debt I have but I was wondering if maybe you can offer some coaching could you help me out that's how my business was born it was born from text messages phone calls dms that I got from people just seeking help. And I thought to myself, well, I can't give all this information to myself. So right, let me start coaching, let me start coaching people. And at first, my coaching sessions were 100% free, it was just family and friends that I was kind of testing it out on. And then I decided to offer uh, coaching services, one on one coaching at a very, very low cost. I met people one-on-one at coffee shops in Harlem, which is where I was living at the time. And we would go over their finances, you know? And, and I would do this on uh, typically weekends because, you know, the weekdays for me were a complete wash with work. And yeah, that's what I would do. I would, I would go over their budgets, I would create a debt repayment plan for them, I would help them set up an emergency fund. And, you know, all these things that sometimes people think are so basic are not really basic, and require someone to just kind of guide you through the process. And that's what I did, you know, and um, from there, a business was born, I coached hundreds of individuals, couples, uh, you know, families that wanted help with their finances. Um, But then, you know, it did get to a point where it was just too much, you know, the demand was really, really high. And I saw that there's a need, like people need help, people want the help also. See, that's another thing, right? Because I think everyone comes to a point where they realize in their money journey, I want help. Like yeah. I want someone to help me with this. It's not enough for me to just say, Oh, learning about money is important. That's great. But until you decide that you want to implement what you are learning into your own life, you know, all of, you can listen to all the podcasts in the world, all the read, all the blogs in the world. It's not going to matter until you right. decide to- but these people wanted to implement, right? They just needed a coach. They needed somebody to guide them through. Uh, and, and so, like I said, the demand got really overwhelming. Um, unfortunately, it got to a point where I really could not uh, take on, you know, more clients. And that's when I decided to basically package up everything that I taught during my one-on-one coaching sessions into a course, And that's the course that I have now. Uh, It's called The Blueprints of Financial Freedom. It's a self-paced course. And it includes monthly group coaching because I never wanted to lose that aspect of being a coach, right? Of people being able to ask their maybe like embarrassing questions and whatnot. Uh, So you'll see kind of how like this really small idea of let me just document on social media has grown into the business that I have today.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I think a lot of time just you documenting it and people saying like, wow, she did this. So I know it's possible is you build that trust so much easier than just coming out and saying, "Hey, I majored in finance. Here's my course, you know?" So, right. I think yeah, that's like here, great. Buy it. <laughs> yeah. like,
0: right. You know, people people want people also want to see that you're human, right? Like right. people want to see that you're human. People want to see that you can share your wins and your losses and you can be transparent. And that's why for me, a big part of my journey was to be very transparent about, you know, what what are my numbers? what How much debt do I have? How much am I putting towards my debt this month? I used to have kind of like... Um, $80,000 of debt left. Like I would post it on my Instagram. Next month it'd be, you know, $76,000 wow. left or whatever it is, right? Until I got to zero. Uh, And, and you know, it was really amazing to be able to celebrate with the community that I had built online when it did get to that point.
1: That is amazing. And I'm so excited to get into the budgeting questions because yeah, that's good. I mean, honestly, this is a little bit selfish <laughs> because I know that I need the help too. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so, so what are your thoughts on the 50 30 20 rule with the cost inflation and the cost of living do you think it's still a realistic budget rule of thumb
0: yeah so i think um so first of all you know the 50 30 20 budget for those that might not be familiar is a form of budgeting that was popularized by uh senator elizabeth warren and basically what it says is that 50% of your money should go to your needs should go to your wants and 20% should go to your savings or other financial goals. And I think that the 50, 30, 20 budget is a good one to start. Okay. Mm, okay. So I, I, I do like it to start because I think a lot of times people don't even know where to start. Right. So I do like it for that because it's really simple, right? I mean, take however much you make in any given month. Uh, And then, you know, take 50% of that. That's how much should go to your needs. Take 30%. That's how much should go to your wants and 20 is how much should go to your money goals. But I will say as someone that was born and raised in New York, in the city, uh, in this economy,
1: Mm -hmm. it's hard. It's yeah. hard.
0: Okay. I would say that, um, you know, uh, an, a disproportionate number of New Yorkers and others that live in high cost of living areas, they spend about half of their income just on their housing alone. Like never yeah. mind all the other things that we need to survive, you know? Uh, and, and so sometimes I don't think that budget works. I, I also, I do have a criticism of the budget, which a lot of people will disagree with me on, and that's totally fine. Um, I think that it's a little hard to say that it should apply to everyone. Because for example, let's say you're working on paying off credit card debt, you know, do I think 30% of your income should go to your wants and only 20% to your money goals? Not really. I would probably switch those percentages and I would probably say I would rather 30% go to your money goals. Like, let's say paying off that pesky credit card debt that you have and building an emergency fund, which I know we'll talk about later, um, and then leaving 20% to your wants. And, you know, people will disagree with me because they're like, Cindy, but like, you know, we only have one life and like life is so hard. We should have fun. Look, we should absolutely have fun. Look, I love fun. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But I am a firm believer that especially when you are starting your financial freedom journey, you need to build discipline and you need to build Mm. certain habits. And I think that, you know, prioritizing your goals is one way to start building those habits.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And I feel like you hit on a very important point that I always think about is the 50% for needs, because I feel like a lot of places, especially now, people like that 50%. So I guess if you make $4,000 a month and I feel like rent here in Tampa is like the 1800 plus, that yep. alone is almost half. So what right. would you suggest for those people who are in that position?
0: So I would suggest... That um, you check out the kind of budget that I like to use, (laughs) which is the zero based budget. And so I'll explain what it is. Um, And look, I'm not saying that there's a right or wrong. There certainly is not, uh, you know, different budgets for different folks. But I like Mm -hmm. the zero based budget because really anyone, no matter what your income is, you can find a way to make it work for you. So this type of budget, what it does is it gives a specific job to every dollar that we earn. So I'm going to go with your example, right? Let's say you make about, um, well, you know, in Florida, you don't have state income taxes here in New York, you do. So mm-hmm. let's just say for purposes of, of kind of applying this to, to, you know, universally, let's say you bring home $4,000 a month, right? Like that's your net income. So you've already paid your federal, state, local taxes, your health insurance, you've you've already paid all that, Right. So you right. have $4,000 to work with for the month, those $4,000 need a job. And I want you to put those $4,000 in one of three categories, either savings and investments. Okay, you can call this like your money goals, uh, you know, wealth building, whatever you want to call it, right, you can wordsmith it. The next uh, category is going to be your expenses. This is where you're going to list out your housing costs, your groceries, um. You know, let's say you're uh, well, here in the city, right? Like your Metro card, you're dining out, you're shopping, your Amazon, whatever it is, like really any expenses that you may have. And then the last category is going to be your debt. Okay. And what you're going to do is you are going to say, okay, well, I bring in about $4,000 every month. Where do I want these $4,000 to go? And you're going to mm-hmm. go ahead and you're going to start mapping that out. Now, for those that are like Cindy, like, girl, do you have like this, like just a template that I can use? Cause this sounds a little complicated. I actually, <laughs> right. I have a free template, totally free, no catch, um, with a video tutorial on my website. You can check it out at zero based budget.com. You can download your free budget template. You can pop in your numbers because what you want to happen is that. When you give all $4,000 a specific job, you're left with zero. Why? Mm. Because you've budgeted everything out. Now, I know when I tell people you're left with zero, oh my goodness, people freak out. There's like, there's no way, Cindy, I'm going to go into overdraft. Like, what if something comes up? I have a few solutions for you. First of all, ideally, as part of your budget, you're going to include some money for savings every month, for example, to your emergency fund your emergency fund is going to help protect you from emergencies that come up on a month-to-month basis, right? Um, But let's say for the other things, just those miscellaneous things that happen, right? Because it always happens. Something always comes up right budget let's say 50 100 depending on your income and and you know what your budget looks like you can budget a certain dollar amount to miscellaneous that you can allocate to that category you know by breaking out your money in this way it's going to give you maximum control over your money see this is the problem what happens is we say oh well last year i made fifty thousand dollars i made sixty thousand dollars eighty thousand a hundred thousand, and then you're like, "But I don't have anything to show for it,
1: mm, right?"
0: How many babe. times has that happened? And so, instead, what we are doing with a zero-based budget, because we are having a clear budget, right? We're 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 having like think of it as like a clear map, right? It's a roadmap. It's a clear map where some of your money is going to your savings, some of it is going to your debt, some of it is going to your expenses. By you breaking out your money this way, you can with confidence say, you know what, this month I am saving $200 into my emergency funds. I am budgeting $200 for dining out, you know, because you can budget for whatever the heck you want. People are like, wait, Cindy, I can still, still have like my, my latte and my manicures. Yes. Absolutely, but you need to put it in your budget. Put it in your money plan. Okay, I know a lot of very wealthy people and people that are also very good with money, much, much better than I am. And guess what? They all have budgets. Now, they a lot of them don't call it the budget, right? Because budgets have this like you know, it's like this icky feeling sometimes of like, oh, I don't want to say I'm on a budget. Um, Like a chore, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. You know what they call it? Their cash flow management report. They call it their money plan. So change the name, call call it that. Call it your plan.
1: Your money plan. I like that. Yeah. OK, so that sounds amazing and it sounds really doable and easy, especially since you said you have a template already set up. But I feel like budgets are very hard to stick with. And I know yeah. I've been guilty of, oh, I, I'm saving this amount this month, but then I sneakily take it out and spend yeah. it. So for people like me, what tips can you give us to help make budgeting easier?
0: Well, the first thing would be you should... For at least thirty days, embark on a spending challenge. the The Ooh. problem is that most people. The reason why our budgets go kind of a little crazy is not because of our regular expenses like our bills, right? Like our rent mm-hmm. and like our electricity. And I mean, well, sometimes electricity depends because things have been a little weird with gas prices and oil yeah. and all of that. But you know, for the most part, those aren't the the things that derail people's budgets. It's really dining out, shopping that is typically what kind of blows people's budgets a little you know out of control and so what i would say is first of all you need to understand your own spending habits So what I recommend Mm -hmm. is doing a 30 day spending challenge where for 30 days, you take just two minutes of your day because it really shouldn't take much longer than that. You take two minutes and you can do this in like the notes app on your phone. You can do it in a spreadsheet. You could do it whatever way is easiest for you. And you ask yourself, what did I spend money on today? At the end of the 30 days, you go back and you look at what you spent money on. You analyze how that makes you feel. Are you happy with that spending? Are you guilty? Like, are you feeling guilt or a shame or any, whatever feelings you're feeling? Because that's going to, first of all, make you realize whether the way that you're spending aligns with your value. Because a lot of times we rush into like, oh, I just want to make this budget work. But we are not understanding how our own money habits on a day-to-day basis are playing out. That's such an important step. We cannot skip that step you have to take that inventory. Um, Another way that you can do this if you don't want to do the 30 day spending challenge, though I do very much recommend it, is just look back on your last three to four months of your expenses. And yes, I'm talking about go through your credit card statements, go through your debit card statements, take a highlighter to those statements, like print them out if you can. I know people are like, who has a printer nowadays, right? So (laughs) if, if you don't have a printer, then just download the PDF, take different color highlighters. You know, we all have those Uh, you know, applications that we can use online and take a different highlighter to each category, you know, designate one highlighter for food, one highlighter for housing expenses, one highlighter for entertainment and shopping, right? And then evaluate what your spending looks like. Okay. So that would be my first tip is to definitely conduct some type of a spending audit. My second tip would be to, um, separate your bank account. And what I mean by that is if you find yourself having just that tendency of kind of going over budget, I would recommend two checking accounts. One checking account is going to be for like bill pay, you know, for your rent, your car payment, your, um, you know, monthly, I don't know, uh, credit card bill, whatever it is, it's going to be your bills, really. And then the remainder is going to be your free to spend money. Right. So by dividing your bills and you're free to spend money that way, it's going to give you more control. Now, I want to go to a point where you said, which was the Cindy, what about saving? Right. And what yes. about those money goals? Like, where does that fit into, you know, these um uh, uh these accounts? Well, I would argue that that money probably shouldn't even touch your accounts in the first place. What do I mean by that? I mean that we should start thinking about paying ourselves First, Okay, the pay yourself first method, where after you create your budget, and you decide like, let's say, Victoria, you say, well, I want to save $300 every month, what I would love to see is $300 gets sent every month from your paycheck automatically to your savings account. So it doesn't even touch your checking account
1: okay yeah I was just gonna ask, so is your do you recommend that our savings account are separate from our checking because you know how you have the checking and the saving oh absolutely. okay absolutely
0: absolutely absolutely why because it's gonna add some friction mm-hmm. right see this is what used to happen when I was in college I had a chase um I still do actually I had a chase savings and a chase checking account and I only had those two accounts and so I would say okay well you know at the beginning of the month I'd be like yeah I'm gonna save you know let's say 200 dollars and i would put $200 into my chase savings account. then my best friend and i would go to the mall and i'd be like, <laughs> "crap, i want to buy that." oh, oh, you know what? i'm going to just transfer the money from my savings account into my checking account. it's so easy. it literally takes seconds to do. i mean, have have you ever done that? like absolutely. most of us have done that, right? yes. by having your savings in a different account, which i know we'll talk about a little later, okay? we are going to add friction between our day-to-day spending, right? These two checking accounts that we have, one is our checking account really for our bills to make sure that we're not like, you know, uh, late on anything, right? You wanna designate that money there. So let's say your monthly bills equal, let's just, give an example, $2,500, right? As an example, the person that makes the $4,000 uh, a month, their bills, you know, rent and, and all of that, 2,500. 2,500, mm-hmm. that means, should be going into that bill checking account. Everything else that's remaining could go into your, um, uh, your, your spending checking account, if you will. But because you listen to this podcast, right? Yeah, right. You set up this automatic transfer from your paycheck okay from your paycheck straight to that separate savings account and so now let's say just again as an example these are probably big numbers but let's say we do 500 dollars to saving every month that means a thousand dollars should be going to that fun account right like that spending account that we can use for like dining out for amazon for target whatever so you see how we've automatically boom we've simplified our finances this fake person that makes $4,000 every single month. They set up an automatic transfer from their paycheck to their savings of $500. They're left with $3,500. That means $2,500 is going to go now to bill pay and a thousand is going to be left in their like spending checking account. That is a very simple setup that you, I mean, it takes a little bit of work at, up upfront, right? A little bit, you, right. you, you're mm-hmm. going to want to make sure that you create your budget so that you know how much should go where um, you might even have to set up an account or two, but once you get the system going. It's really going to help you stay on budget.
1: I love that because, as you said, with doing the auto payment or the automatic payment for the savings into a separate one, it's, it's going to be a lot harder to transfer. So Absolutely. I love that because you can kind of come to your sentence and be like, OK, Victoria, you did make this budget. So don't even don't even touch that. So I right. love You're that gonna idea. Be like, OK, just
0: honor what you've done already. And then, and then most of the times you don't need that thing that you wanted to
1: like me. 100%. Spend
0: on. Trust me, I, I, this is coming from someone who is a natural spender, which when I tell people that they're like, wait, really? I'm like, yes, that's why I budget because otherwise I'd be broke.
1: <laughs> right. Cause I feel like I get that thing. And then three months later, I'm trying to sell it for a fourth of the price on Poshmark. Right. So, right. you know, had right. I just not gotten it, it I would have been in a better place financially. Okay. So... What are sinking funds and how do you add them into your budgeting plan? Sure.
0: So a sinking fund is just a short-term savings fund. Um, So I'll give you a quick example. Let's say next summer you want to go to Paris and that Mm -hmm. trip is going to cost you $2,400. Um, that means that, you know, let's say you have, well, let's say next fall you want to go to Paris, right? So you have a year until your trip to Paris and you want to save $2,400 for that trip. That means that you should start saving ideally $200 every single month for that trip. So sinking funds really are a way to start saving now. Rather than swiping your credit card and then later trying to figure out, well, how am I going to pay this back? Okay, you can do this with, let's say, you want to buy a new laptop, right? Uh, Let's say in, you know, just, I mean, just a few months. We have the holidays, right? Let's say three months from now. Well, okay, how much do you want to save up for the holidays? How much do you typically spend? Let's say you say, well, Cindy, I typically spend around nine hundred dollars around the holidays. Okay, great. Divide that by three. $300, you should start saving now $300 a month into a sinking fund for the holidays. Um, My favorite place to save sinking funds are banks that allow you to see different categories. Uh, So I personally really like ally bank for that reason. Uh, It allows you to have up to I think it's like 10 different categories. And I have like, a Christmas fund, I have a gifts fund, because especially being in our 30s, everyone's getting married, everyone's having a baby, everyone has something going on. And there's always a gift to be purchased. (laughs) And so what I do is I just take from my gifts fund for these, um, you know, things that kind of come up every single month. I set aside, uh, you know, me personally, I set aside about $100 every month in this gifts fund just for when things come up, even if they don't come up in that specific month, they might come up in the next month. So I kind of just have that at the ready. Um, So yeah, big, big fan of sinking funds to kind of help prepare you to spend on those either large or kind of like you can say like irregular expenses. Like let's say if you have a pet, right? You might want to have a pet fund because, you know, their food, Uh, you you bulk buy their food or their, you know, annual uh, checkup, right? Those are kinds of things that you can save for uh, in a sinking fund.
1: Okay. So you mentioned categories with Ally Bank. So is that you just have your checking account and then you can put it in different categories or is it separate account?
0: So ally, um, the, the account that I have with ally is a savings account. Uh Uh-huh. So the savings account, so what I do quite literally every single month is, you know, let's just say again, let's just say I brought in $4,000, um, net, you know, I would actually, I I transfer because I'm an entrepreneur and my paychecks are, it's, it's a little weird. My, my system, um, what Mm -hmm. I do is every month, once I pay myself, and that money does hit my checking account. I automatically will transfer out, you know, money into my three main sinking funds, which are travel, uh, gifts, and Christmas. Those are the three sinking funds that I basically save for every single month, like all year round. I am saving for Christmas and gifts and travel. Whether or not I have a trip coming up, I always do it. And so I will set I will send that money from my checking account into my savings account. Um, I do bank with ally. And it's just really easy. It literally takes me maybe 30 seconds to do I open the app, I hit, you know, click, click done. And and it's done. It's, It's that easy. Like once you have a good money system in place. I mean I don't want you to spend hours every week managing your finances. You 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 don't have to do that at all. You know, you can spend just a couple minutes a day if that and I mean look, let's be honest. How much time do we spend on social media, right? Way like, too much. <laughs> like we can we can take 5 minutes for our finances every day. We absolutely could. We deserve to
1: Right. So I actually love to travel. So I love that you mentioned you have a travel seeking fund. I think that's something I'm definitely going to incorporate in my budget. Oh, yeah. Been and I, I say days. for
0: travel all year round, you know, regardless of whether or not I've already planned the trip, because it's really nice that when a trip opportunity does come up, it's nice to see that I already have, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars or, you know, a thousand dollars or whatever it is. Uh, in this travel sinking fund that I can pull from
1: yeah I think that's a great idea so I want to get into paying off debt and I know you mentioned this earlier but how did you pay down your debt so um correct me if I'm wrong but you paid down two hundred and fifteen thousand in 48 months right yes yes that's right that's amazing yes. by the way yes. so definitely want the details
0: yeah so you know first and foremost I do always say very much at the outset especially because I am a very transparent person, I'd, I'd like to hope actually, is that um, paying off that amount of debt in that amount of time did take a lot of financial privilege, okay? I was practicing law as a corporate attorney at a large private law firm in the middle of New York City, right? I, I was making a very good salary, more money than I ever could have imagined. I mean, out of law school, my starting salary was $160,000 a year. Wow, is that
1: rare? It. Yeah, so okay.
0: I mean, for... For big firms, it's very common at the time, it was the standard salary, like, I mean, in case you're curious, people can actually just look up what the salary scales are for, um, you know, big law firms in the United States, because they generally follow uh, like the same numbers. And back when I started, when I entered the practice in 2016, that was this or 2015, that was the starting salary for associates, it was 160. And so you know, this this whole journey did involve a great degree of financial privilege, right. But to end the story there ignores the fact that I created a debt repayment plan. And the fact that I had many colleagues, you know, in and out of work, uh, you know, fellow classmates and whatnot, that had very similar jobs as me and, and still have a great, Amount of law school debt, right? And I'm not trying to say, oh, well, I'm better than them. No, absolutely not, because their priorities could be elsewhere. You know, some of them are parents, right? Some of them, uh, you know, they have different life circumstances. For me, my priority was paying off my debt. And so what I needed to do was I needed to create a very specific debt repayment plan. And so for me, what it really came down to was I needed to, first of all, I needed to shrink the interest that I was paying. I was paying at the time an average about 8% and 8% interest on 150, 60, $80,000 of loans. That is a lot of money. Let me just tell you that it's going to take you years to pay off that debt. So I needed to refinance my loans and refinancing basically involved me taking out a new loan with a private lender. That private lender paid off my debt and I now had my loans exclusively with that new private lender. Now there's a lot of talk obviously right now with student loan forgiveness Um, even, uh, you know, the other option, public service loan forgiveness back when I was going through all this, there was public service loan forgiveness available, but I was not in the public sector. So I was never going to qualify for that, but I want to caution anyone that is thinking about refinancing, because if you do refinance exactly what I said earlier, a private company now takes over your loans, loan forgiveness is not available to you if you refinance. It's, it's not okay. So if you, if, for example, if I would have met the income requirements, like if I still had debt now and I met Biden's income requirements to get loan forgiveness, I would not be able to get my loans forgiven because my loans have switched from federal into private. So I definitely want to issue that disclaimer because refinancing does have certain risks. But back then when I took that risk, um, obviously it was very calculated it was very well thought out. And for me, it worked. And what refinancing did was it slashed my interest rate in half and it cut my repayment period from 10 years down to six years. Wow. Just that, just refinancing, right? Um, it was a big, big impact on, uh, on, on my loans. And um, in case anyone's curious, it actually saved me about $40,000. OK, by doing, wow. by refinancing to save me about 40,000. Um, now, as far as OK, Cindy, like t- tell me like nitty gritty. Right. Well, what I did is I created a debt repayment plan. I, you know, with the budget template that's available on my website, that is literally the budget template that I use to tell me, OK, well, Cindy, how much can you throw as an additional debt payment to your debt? And I started throwing basically every penny that I could at my debt. So I was living, you know, very, very below my means. I mean, I was renting a studio apartment in Harlem. And then a couple of years later, I moved into a one bedroom apartment with my now husband, then boyfriend. Um, So we were splitting the rent on a one bedroom in Harlem. So again, my rent costs were still very low. Uh, I meal prepped. I stuck to the Metro card. I didn't have a car. That means I didn't have a car payment. I didn't have car insurance. I didn't have uh, to pay gas, tolls, parking, none- nothing like that. So my, my, my um, expenses were very low, like really low, <laughs> like Smart. kind of like, you know, um, not so much a lawyer, but more like a broke lawsuit at low. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: And so with that, with my plan, with my throwing additional payments, with my living way below my means, I was able to actually go from having a six year timeline and I shrunk it down to four years. Uh, because I wanted to get out of my debt as soon as possible. I kind of became again, like I used this word earlier, but it's very true. I kind of became obsessed with paying off my debt. Um, And I know different financial gurus, you know, they'll disagree with me, they'll say, but like, Oh, but Cindy, you could have been investing that money or you could have been doing other things. And look, if that works for you, that's great. But for me, I wanted to be debt-free more than anything. And that was my goal. And so that's why I did everything that I possibly could to achieve that goal, including throwing tax refunds, annual bonuses, my pay raise. Every year I got a pay increase. I continued to live again, significantly below my means and throw those additional amounts to my debt.
1: I love that. And I think you have brought up a good point living below your means because that can be hard yeah. for especially when you do get those salary increases and those bonuses i know that's something my dad said that every time he got a bonus he wouldn't increase or he wouldn't increase his living expenses he would yeah. save it or put it towards the things he needed to put it towards and right. i think that's just a very important point to make because yeah. i think sometimes yeah. we think oh we got a raise so now i can upgrade my life and, more <laughs> yeah and then and you then,
0: wonder why you're back at square one
1: exactly right? like, you wonder why that pay raise wasn't
0: enough. And it's because, well, you continue to increase your cost of living. So, of course, it's not enough,
1: you know? Right. If you are paying down debt, should you avoid using your credit card?
0: If you are focused on credit card debt, yes. Yes. I think that if paying off your credit card debt is like the goal, then I, I ideally would recommend that you just put away your credit cards, you know, focus on getting that credit card debt down as much as possible. But if you have a very good handle on your credit cards and you're like, well, you know, I only put my expenses that I pay off in full every single month, then continue to to use your credit card that's fine, right? Because you are you are using it in a way that is that is how you should be using credit cards, which is you are paying them off in full every single month. And maybe you have, you know, a car loan and student loans that you are, you know, kind of working on, but your credit cards are are they're in check. They're good, right? In that case, sure, go ahead, like, you know, continue to use them. But if you and again, this is something that only you can honestly answer. If your issue is the credit card debt is the swiping, um, then I would rather at least temporarily remove the temptation and focus on paying down that credit card as quickly as possible so that your credit score can increase and so that you can kind of free yourself um, of that debt as soon as possible.
1: That makes sense. So, can we negotiate credit card interest rates to make it easier to pay down our debt? If so, what is the best way to do that?
0: So, you can you can negotiate most things in life, right? And you can call your credit card company, especially if you're a really good customer, and you can say, "Listen, like I've been a loyal customer XYZ, you know, can you lower my interest rate?" The reality is that most credit card companies, especially right now, they're not going to do it. Why? No, because credit card interest rates have actually been increasing um, with inflation, with, uh, you know, just the, the the rise in everything, all things, right? Um, we are seeing that the uh, benchmarks that are used to determine interest rates uh, have continued to increase. They've only continued to increase. So I actually have a challenge for everyone listening to this podcast. Okay. Um, Pull up your credit card statement for for this month, okay, whatever month you're listening to this podcast in. Look at your interest rate. I want you to now look at your interest rate from a year ago and then from two years ago and your statements, okay, same month. Most, nine times out of 10, you're gonna see that your interest rate now is significantly higher than it was a year ago and then it was two years ago. Why? Because of inflation. So you see what happens is that credit card companies are like, well, we have the upper hand, like people, people want, people want us, people want the credit cards and the, you know, benchmark for interest rates right now. Well, it's high. So we're going to continue to increase our interest rate. So unfortunately, unfortunately, it's not the, the best of a, uh, of a situation here. However, not all is lost because I have, um, hopefully, what could be a good solution for you, especially if you are struggling specifically with high interest credit card debt. And that is called a balance transfer. Now balance transfer credit cards are credit cards where you can, you would be going through the application process. So ideally your, your credit would be, you know, pretty solid. It doesn't need to be perfect, but it needs to be solid enough that you would get approved for a new credit card. That new credit card is going to have a 0% introductory rate for let's say 18 months. That means for 18 months, you're going to have 0% APR, 0% interest rate on that credit card. What you can do is you can transfer the balances of your current credit cards onto that balance transfer card for 0% interest. So instead of paying 20, 25% interest on your cards, you are going to be paying 0 on this new card. Now you might be listening and say, oh my gosh, Lindy, that sounds absolutely amazing. Like, Why doesn't everyone do that? Well, let me tell you what happens when most people do the balance transfer strategy. They now have this new credit card with 0% interest rate. Instead of making a detailed plan to pay off the the debt amount in full before that 0% introductory period expires, they don't. They just make the minimum payments. And they're like, oh, whatever, I have time, I have time. And then what happens is that with the current credit cards, the ones, you know, those original cards that you transferred the balance to, Mm -hmm. they start using those cards again and they rack up that debt. So now by the end of this 18th month period, not only are we not debt free, but we have doubled the debt that we started with. That is how most people use balance transfers. That's why people are like, oh, wait, but why do banks even offer this? Well, because best believe that they're always going to get their money, but not, oh, you, yeah. not you, because you listen to this podcast, right? And you listen to this conversation that we're having today, where I am saying that in, if you are going to use a balance transfer credit card, you are going to quite literally take a pen and paper. You are going to take that amount that you are transferring. Let's just say as an example, right? You have $5,000 in credit card debt that you are going to be transferring to this uh you know balance transfer card. And this balance transfer card gives you 18 months. 18 months to pay off those $5,000. You're going to momentarily just just for now, you're going to hide those credit cards, right? Because maybe we have a little bit of a spending issue. It's okay, right? It happens to the best of us. Right. <laughs> you're going to put those to the side and you are going to make a plan every single month to pay $278 to that balance transfer card. Why 278? Well, because $5,000 divided by 18 months is $278. And you are going to stick to that plan for 18 months. What's going to happen is at the end of 18 months, not only are you going to be credit card debt free, you're going to have paid 0% in interest and you're going to have that that lightness of I'm done. I did it. I mastered the plan. The banks didn't master the plan. I did. And that's how you do it.
1: Yeah. And I bet that's an amazing feeling. So. You mentioned that as long as your credit is fine, you can, you know, apply for another card or the credit or the balance transfer credit card. So is there a number or is it just dependent by person? But is there a credit score that you're probably going to have to have?
0: It's honestly dependent by person. Um, and okay. it's not just dependent by person. It's dependent by the bank. Okay. So um. different banks are going to, you know, they're they're going to have their requirements. Some banks want to see a 650. Some want to see a, you know, 700, right? Like it's really going to depend. Sometimes, unfortunately, they don't make that, most of the time, they don't make that information public. But if you do a little bit of digging online, search the name of the credit card and search for, um, you know, credit requirements. And a lot of times you'll be able to kind of find that information, like through forums, like people will say like, oh, I got approved with having X score or, you know, now, of course you can't fully bank on that, but at least it can give you a good idea. Um, Just so that, you know, you can be mindful of a 670 to a 739 is considered good. Okay. So ideally I would say that at the least we would probably want to be in that rank. Right in the range of like 670 to 739. It's not to say that if you have, let's say, a 620 to a 669, that you wouldn't get approved. Um, I just think that at least from my personal experience and experience from clients, is that at least having a good score of 670 to 739 uh will give you a much much better um chance.
1: Okay, you mentioned the balance transfer, is that the most effective way that you use to help your clients pay down debt without? becoming overwhelmed or is there another method that you? yeah like to- so that's
0: that's one method um and the other method is you know uh what a lot of people in the personal finance community call the debt avalanche method and the debt avalanche method is a method where you're going to list out your debts right by order of highest interest rates to lowest interest rate. so let's just as an example let's say you have three debts you have credit card one that has a 27 percent interest rate really really high right Credit card two has a 20% interest rate and student loan, um, your student loan has a, let's say 5% interest rate. You're going to start with that credit card one, and that's the card that you're going to focus on. Okay. So you're going to make minimum payments on all of your debts, right? So your student loan credit card two, those just get the minimum payment. That's it. You're focusing your energy on the debt that has the highest interest rate. You're going to focus all your energy, all your attention on that debt. Once that debt is paid off, now you're done. Now you go to the second debt, which would be in our example, credit card too with a 20% interest rate. Okay, by doing by paying off debt in this way, you're going to ensure that you are actually saving the most money because you're getting rid of those debts that have the highest interest rate first.
1: So say you had five credit cards, and you finally paid off the debt, do you recommend that maybe we get rid of some of those credit cards?
0: It depends. Okay, it depends. And here's why. Um, when you close a credit card, it will impact your credit score. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now how much it'll impact it by typically is something by like 10 to 15% of your credit score could possibly be impacted by age of credit. Okay. Something that's called age of credit. So let's say if you close your oldest credit card, eh, that might not be a great look because you've just closed your oldest card showing your oldest age of credit. Um, But another thing that it can impact is your line of credit that's available to you, right? This is called the credit utilization. And your credit utilization rate, that is worth 30% of your credit score, right? So potentially, we could see a temporary ding on our credit score if we close a credit card. However, I have closed credit cards. In fact, I closed my oldest credit card that I took out because it was horribly, you know, predatory, extremely high interest rates. It was just a a terrible look. Um, I closed that credit card, even though it was the oldest one, but it was a bit calculated because that first credit card I took out when I was like 18. The second credit card that I took out was when I was about 20. So I was okay with closing that oldest one because the second oldest one wasn't that far off, right? So there's like a little bit of a science to it, sort of, I would never recommend that you hold on to a credit. A card that you're paying like annual fees for and that you get no rewards for which is what i was doing and that's why i closed it uh so i would consider yeah maybe in that case go ahead and 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 close your card um you know if you have something like 10 credit cards maybe don't close nine of them all at once right that's probably yeah. a bad <laughs> idea maybe we want to take it a little easy but let's just say you paid off your credit cards and you have three credit cards I don't consider three to be a lot whatsoever. Here's what I would do to keep them active so that you can start seeing that increase in your credit score. I would start, I would probably use one credit card for, uh, you know, like household expenses and groceries, kind of like the needs, right? That we have. And Mm -hmm. I would pay that card off in full every month. I would use a second credit card for, um, maybe a specific category that you want to use it for because of the the points, right? Like, you know, the travel cards and all that stuff. Um, so maybe you put like all your traveling on that card. And then let's say the third card that, you know, it's, it's a good card, but maybe you don't love it. Maybe you just naturally don't really use it that much. Like, I feel like we all have those. I would put a monthly subscription on that card. Like, let's say for example, like your Spotify subscription and just set up an auto pay and that's it. Just put that one thing on that card and set up an automatic monthly payment. This way, you are showing the credit card companies that you are using that card, you're keeping your credit nice and healthy, you are paying it off in full every single month with this automatic payment because you know how much Spotify is every single month. It's 9.99 or whatever it may be. And that's a nice way to keep your credit card active without having to like use it, right? Like you don't even have to take that credit card out with you it like put it in your wallet. You could just like leave it at home if you feel like it. You know? that's. One way that you can use. I mean, you can use credit cards in a bunch of different ways. I'm a big, big fan of using credit cards. In fact, I don't use my debit card at all. I only use my credit cards. Um, And it's because uh, at this point, I've gotten to a point where I'm very comfortable knowing that I pay off my cards in full every single month. I'm using them responsibly. The important part is I'm getting my points because girl, I like traveling for free. I like traveling for free. And that's one way to do
1: it. I love that. And yeah. I have never thought about the, you know, cheap monthly subscription that you can put on a card just to show that you're using it to keep your credit healthy. So I think that's yeah. a really, really good tip. Yeah. So I know we talked about paying down debt. And earlier, you talked about emergency funds. So if you are paying down debt, and you're also trying to save, how would you like tell your clients to go about that? Like, what's more important? Basically, would you put more towards that or more towards savings?
0: Yeah. So I think that it definitely requires a balancing act that's going to be dependent on you, right? So for example, if you don't have anything in savings right now, we need to prioritize saving, like non-negotiable, right? We need to. Why? Because if you do not have any savings in, for example, an emergency fund, you are going to go back into debt, mm. right? Like if something happens, you're going to swipe the credit card.
1: Yeah, because so you you're have gonna to. Take a,
0: yeah, you're going to take out a loan. So we need to protect ourselves from that first, which is why I would prioritize an emergency fund. Once you have about a one month of an emergency fund saved, I honestly, especially in this economy, I would really love to see at least a three month emergency fund because things are just so unpredictable, especially as of late. But after you have, let's say your one, two or three months of an emergency fund saved, then you can play it as a balancing act. At that point, maybe let's say you have an additional $500, right, every single month to kind of work with for your money goals. Maybe you can do like $200 to the emergency fund to continue to, you know, build that up and $300 as like an additional debt pay, right? So you can kind of balance it from there. That's basically what I did. You know, I was saving my emergency fund for about Five years, actually, it took me Uh, from as soon as I graduated law school, I started kind of I mean, I graduated with basically like no savings, you know, so I started like little by little, uh, you know, $100 here, $200 there $400, you know, next month $200, whatever it is that I can throw to my emergency fund. Uh, But my debt was my priority after I had those like maybe, you know, two or three months of an emergency fund save, but it's going to be a balancing act for everyone, but you should absolutely
1: do both. Absolutely. That makes sense. So I want to get more into the savings conversation. So Mm -hmm. how much of someone's salary should go into short-term savings versus long-term savings?
0: So I think, first of all, you want to start with savings generally, right? Whether it's short or long-term, a good rule of thumb to start with is 20% of your net. Okay. So uh, back to our example of the $4,000 you know, every month that you get paid, I would ideally like to see you know, twenty percent, so eight hundred dollars, going towards your money goals. I'm sorry, I should have I I, I retract what I said earlier. I said that it should go to savings. No, I meant money goals, right? So this okay. can be um, additional debt payments. This can be your emergency fund. This can be your sinking fund, right? Basically, like your future you um, versus like your current spending, and so you start there. But sometimes people are like, well, Cindy, eight hundred dollars is way too much. Maybe I can do like six hundred. Okay, cool. Or you might say, actually. I could do a little bit more. I can do a thousand. Amazing. Right. But you start with 20%. Then you look at what are your priorities? You see right now, I personally, right. Um, I already have an emergency fund, so I don't need to put anything into long-term savings anymore, really. Cause that that's done. So my money goes to my short-term savings and my investments. Okay. That's my long-term, you know, if you will, is my, my investments, my retirement, Right. And so again, it's going to depend on everyone. Um, some people can do as high as 40 or 50%, which I mean, if that's you amazing, right. (laughs) Um, some people can only do like maybe five or 10%, but I would say start with 20 and look at what that, that, how that would impact your budget and then go back to your budget and look at, okay, what are the things that I want to save for, uh, you know, short-term Maybe you want to save for like a trip or, or, you know, maybe long-term, um, in five years, you want to buy a house, right? So you want to start saving for a down payment. You can go ahead and start doing, you know, kind of mapping it out once you have those categories, those goals in place. Um, but the first step is I would start just again with that general rule of thumb of, of thumb of 20%. And then you can kind of adjust from there.
1: Okay, so the 20% and then I know we talked about auto paying it to a savings account. So you Mm -hmm. do suggest for most people to use the savings account with a bank or more of an account?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I strongly recommend high yield savings accounts. And these are accounts that are going to pay you a little bit more in interest. Then like your traditional account, you know, so I, you know, I have Chase, right, which is my traditional bank. I mean, I've been banking with Chase for years since I was like a teenager. Um, and so I have my Chase account. But I also have Ally, I have, um, and Barclays, actually, I have online savings accounts where specifically I put my emergency funds and my sinking funds. And I like those accounts because they pay you more in interest. So as an example, Ally Bank pays you 2% interest, 2%. Chase pays you like 0.01. Wow. So yeah.
1: big yeah. That's a big difference. <laughs> That's a big difference
0: huge difference huge difference like people are like oh it's only a couple of dollars no, no 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 especially when you are saving and you are working towards your goals look if you can have your money make money for you please do that please go with that option
1: <laughs> yeah that makes a lot of sense there's something i've been wondering so i've actually never used an hsa but i've heard mm-hmm. people talk about it and i've heard people mention that they use it for a long-term saving or some kind of saving so can you mm-hmm. Can you get into that? And if that's something we should be doing?
0: Sure. So do you mean um, HSA, you mean a health savings account? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Okay. So the health savings account is a different kind of account that is typically offered to you through your employer. If Mm. you're enrolled in a high deductible health plan. And the reason why people like putting money in a health savings account is because it has like a triple tax advantage. Basically, The money basically never gets taxed so long as you use it for like a medical purpose. So I'll give you an example. Uh, Let's say, you know, every week or every other week for your paycheck, you know, some money gets taken out for your health insurance or whatever, but you also put some money into your health, um, your health savings account, your HSA, that money goes into that account without tax. All right. Like it's tax free. It goes into that account, which is beautiful. It grows in that account because sometimes with HSAs, you're able to invest that money, which is really awesome. You're able to invest it like in the stock market. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you've set this money aside. It's being invested in the stock market. That money, that growth is also tax free. You're like, wow, this is amazing, Cindy. But there's a third one, which is even better. If you use that money for health related expenses, you can use that money, you can withdraw it tax free, hence the triple tax advantage, which we love, right? So I really like HSAs, especially for people that are already, you know, kind of contributing to their retirement, right? We we, do, we definitely want to contribute to our retirement accounts. If you have 401ks at work, 403b, or you know, access to like an IRA or an account like that. We definitely want to prioritize retirement, but people that want to kind of take it to the next level, HSAs are honestly a fantastic way to do that. The biggest drawback is that you need to have, like you don't just get access to that account, like just like nothing, right? You have mm-hmm. to also be enrolled in a, in a specific health plan. So if you think that, you know, you might qualify for it, I would call your benefits department and see if an HSA is a good option for you. In full disclosure, I opened up an HSA in um January 2020 21 for the first time I had never opened oh. up and I was like oh I opened up an HSA because you know you hear it's like such an amazing account especially in the personal finance community and so I did that but then I left my job <laughs> I left my job five months later, I left my job as an attorney in May 2021. So that money that I had put into the HSA never qualified to be invested because you need to be at, you need to have the account open for at least a year, at least for me, the account that I had access to, I needed to have it open for at least a year before I get to start investing that money. So I never got to invest that money. I did put money in there tax free. But the good thing is that you know, since leaving my job. I I did actually have quite a bit of money in there. I think I had maybe like $1,500. I've been able to kind of withdraw money from that account to use for health related expenses, including like, you know, protection against COVID-19, you know, feminine hygiene products, things like that. Oh, okay. Because I had that money kind of set aside in this like separate sort of like savings account, like a specific savings account for health related expenses. Um, And so, you know, that's, that's been nice to have Um, also for my dentistry, you know, going to, to the dentist is always expensive. Like no
1: matter Very what. Very true.
0: Um, I've had you know the opportunity to withdraw like you know a hundred dollars to pay my copay or whatever it is, right? So that that has been nice to have, I will say. And I am happy that I did it. It's just that I wasn't able to get like the maximum benefit, you
1: know, because I again I right. lost my
0: job a few months
1: later. Okay. So you have the account, even if you leave your job, it just stays in your HSA. Yeah. The money's always it for easy. health only. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The money's always yours. As
0: as long as it is uh, you know, yeah, make sure you have access to your account. If you think you might have money in an HSA, please make sure you contact your benefits department from your old employer or whomever it may be, because that's your money. So please do not lose out on that. Like I still yeah. have, I think I still have like, maybe like $400 in my account. Um, and it's nice because if I want to use it again, like for, you know, tampons and pads and whatever it is, which by the way, before were not eligible items, but thanks to the CARES Act that was passed, uh, you know, during the pandemic, feminine hygiene products are, uh, you know, they do qualify as health-related expenses, which can you believe that they didn't before? Like-
1: I know, that is crazy. Ridiculous,
0: ridiculous, but yeah.
1: Good to know, thank you for that. I know you mentioned that you have the- budget that we can download for free from your site and your course but what other or can you tell us more about the other tools and resources that you offer and where we can find you to access them
0: yeah sure um my book so I wrote a book so yes congrats by the way yeah thank you thank you you know if you've enjoyed you know uh sort of my teaching style uh where I really try to fill things with examples because I believe that you know we're all different types of learners some of us are auditory Mm. visual you know whatever it may be uh, I try to really accommodate those different learning styles. And so uh, my book is called "Overcoming Debt: Achieving Financial Freedom: Eight Pillars to Build Wealth. And it, you know, starts off by introducing my money story. Um, and I talk a lot about, you know, uh, college and law school, paying off debt, you know, uh, uh, building the community that I have. Uh, And then I dive into the eight pillars that I believe are critical for anyone that wants to achieve financial freedom. You know, we go through budgeting, we go through credit, we go through investing, we go through increasing our income, uh, conscious consumerism, we go through all these different types of topics uh, in this, you know, easily accessible book format that you can just refer back to, you know, anytime that you're like, Oh, what did Cindy say about savings again? What did Cindy say about the emergency fund? What did she say about 401ks? You can just go ahead and use that book as a resource. And I created it really with, you know, 26 year old Cindy in mind with 18 year old Mm. Cindy in mind uh, with my fellow 33 year old friends in mind. Right. I created it with who I was. Uh, And, uh, you know, back then, and, and who I am now, really showing that progression, so that people no matter what your income, no matter what your debt amount, no matter your background, you can take the principles taught, but also like the very specific resources that I give, and you can, you know, apply that to your own life.
1: I love that. And I we appreciate you coming on. I love how you did break it down and you got nitty gritty. You got to the details and you do make it so easy to understand. And I think we talked about that earlier. Like A lot of times finance people in the past didn't make it so easy. Right. So I definitely appreciate that. And I'm definitely going to check your book out just based on this. I know it's going to be an easy read for me to where I can actually put those practices in place and manage my money better. So, I'm yeah, really excited about you. that. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I appreciate awesome. that. I really appreciate your support and you know, t- frankly, we need more women of color personal finance authors. Yes. Um, I am hoping that, you know, there's the day that I see uh, shelves full of our stories and full of our advice and our information. Um, you know, right now, sadly, there's only a couple, right. But Mm -hmm. I really hope that that will change. Um, but you know, supporting books like mine, books like other, you know, from other uh, fellow women of color, personal finance authors. It's really important, uh, you know, not just, of course, for for us as authors, um, but I think to tell publishers that like our voices matter, you know, and our, our thoughts matter. And we as an audience also matter. And uh it is it is a powerful message to send. So yeah, I, I, I thank you so much for your support. It's definitely uh, very, very meaningful to me.
1: Oh, yeah, I appreciate that. And you're so right. We do need more of that. And really just women of color, especially, but women teaching women how to manage their money. And for us so to important. be able to manage our own money is it's so important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And where can we find you? Because I know you put tips on your social media. So where can they find yes. you to learn more money managing tips?
0: Yes, yes, I am most active on Instagram um at zero based budget, all one word. And yeah, I'm I'm on there right now. The the hot money topic is student loan forgiveness. So if you have Mm -hmm. questions about that, come on down, because you know, I'm answering them. I also, uh, you know, share just different parts of my still my money journey, because it's still ongoing. um, And other bits of information, you know, articles, current events, uh, things like that. Yeah, you can find all that on my page.
1: Perfect. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. I know I learned a lot. So I know everybody else will too.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Of course. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode. If you really loved the episode and you felt like it resonated with you, be sure to share the love and share the episode with a friend. Also, if you could take a minute and head to the review section wherever you listen to your podcast and leave me a review, letting me know what you're loving about these episodes and which topics you want to hear next. That way, I can make sure that I continue creating episodes that you love. Also, make sure you hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. Until next week, bye grown girl gang.